The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Our most heavenly and gracious Father, You've given us Your Word so that we might know You. Uh, You have reconciled us to Yourself. You have blessed us in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing. And so, Father, we just... um, we just pray that you would open us up to you, that you would take our hearts, Lord, and plant your truth inside of it. We thank you that you are the God who is both servant and judge, and we pray that you would um, bless us, uh, that we might know you and be given to you, and that you would uh, judge us according to your own merits and not according to our trespasses. We ask this in Christ's name, Amen. All right, friends, well, we are in uh, uh, continuing in Matthew chapter 12. Today is uh, 15 through 32. Jesus is both servant and judge in this. It's really uh, a fascinating couple of uh, passages, and really interesting, too, that they're juxtaposed like they are, because they have two sort of uh, different tenors uh, to them. Um, and we remember that we talked last week about uh, Jesus confronting the Pharisees on the Sabbath, and and particularly not just on the Sabbath, but around the issue of the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal or to, uh, in their case, pick grain? Uh, And and the issue wasn't the law and their interpretation. The issue is, did he have the authority uh, to say what was lawful? And that is the, uh, he's the son of man. He's the... He's the Lord of the Sabbath, and that was the, that was the main thrust of it. And boy, uh, that may be lost on us, but it was not lost on the Pharisees. They knew what he was saying. He was saying that he's the Son of God. He was saying that he is the uniquely anointed one of the Lord, given to us for our uh, salvation. And they didn't like that because he looked just like you and me. He looked like a, a dude walking around uh, Galilee. And, uh, and so they, um, verse 14, that's where we finished last week, they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And he takes off. And so that's the beginning of our passage. Now that's where we pick up. He, um, he gets out of there because um, his time has not yet come. I'm jumping ahead of myself. So Matthew is making the case, as you know, that Jesus is the Messiah uh, all the way up to chapter 16. And he is showing more and more, Matthew is showing more and more that Jesus is stepping into this role uh, of Messiah. So he's established his authority and his teaching and his deeds. And now he's really talking freely about himself uh, as the Son of Man. Now, uh, And so more and more, he's, uh, Matthew's not leaving us any other options than to conclude that he is, in fact, the Son of Man. So I wanted to bring up this um, sort of this paragraph in C.S. Lewis. Uh, you, may, you may have read Mere Christianity, and if you have not read Mere Christianity, then what are you waiting for? Um, it's been out for 75 years. Come on. So, um, in fact, it would be a great way to, for you to finish out the rest of your Lent. It's a really wonderful uh, book. Anyway, so he started out as a radio broadcast during World War II to encourage the, the people in England as they were being bombed by, um, by the Germans. And it became a, uh, it became a really uh, a book, sort of apologetic work, meaning, meaning a defense of the faith. It was a, not just defending, but sort of just outlining, sort of leading someone logically to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is one of the things he says 
And he actually uh, finds a way to work this into the Chronicles of Narnia as well in a really sweet way. But uh, he says this. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing uh, that people often say about Jesus. And that is, uh, they say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man, who said the sorts of things that Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make it your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him your Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left us that option. So three, Lewis says there are three possibilities. Lord, liar, or lunatic. Right? Lord, liar, or lunatic. So... uh, and he's either insane, uh, or he is, in a fairly demonic way, uh, he, is, um, uh, he is lying, or he is who he says he is. He can't be a good moral teacher. Why? People always try to make him into a good moral teacher. Why can't he be a good moral teacher? Well, anybody could fit that position. Anybody could fit that position. What else? He says he's God. He says he's God. And so he, you can't make the claims that he makes and, and, um, and, and not be telling the truth and still be a good moral teacher, right? I mean, he does have some nice ethical teaching. I mean, the, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. There's some really good ethics in there. Wayne, would you close that for me? Um, and, uh, but at the same time, like, he can't, he can't make these claims about himself knowingly, wrongly, and be, uh, be good. So... He is, uh, and then that's unequivocally, he's calling himself the son of God. That's why he got in trouble, right? Um, and so he's, he said he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's, you know, so if he's not that, he's lying, and therefore he's not moral. If he's, if he's lying, he's from the father of lies. And, and if he's not that, then there's no other options, because he's not insane. And the Pharisees don't think he's insane. So he's challenged the Pharisees about the Sabbath. They're seeking to destroy him, so he gets out of Dodge. Uh, his time has not yet come, uh, and that's, uh, that's why he doesn't take him on. His, his time, he will, at that time, when, when his time is ready, he'll jump in headlong. But his time has not yet come. So, um, so he seeks to avoid their arrests, etc., Interestingly, he does have a uh, sort of a confrontation with the Pharisees in the second part. But this is this first paragraph is really uh, just this sort of reprieve from the tension, and shows us the heart of Jesus. And also, you know how Matthew several times, especially in the earliest chapters, says this was written, or this is what was to fulfill um, what was written in the prophet. And they will quote a prophet, usually Isaiah, and this is Isaiah this time. This is the longest quotation uh, of the prophets, the fulfillment prophets uh, formula that he, um, that Matthew uses. 
So when Jesus became aware of this, that is, that they were going to destroy him, he departed. Many crowds followed him, and he cured all of them. That's a big statement, isn't it? He cured all of them, and he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah. It's chapter 42 in Isaiah, and that's important. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not wrangle or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Now, just this is sort of a, a, a side, but sometimes when you, go, when you get a long passage in, really any, any passage in, in, the, um, in the Old Testament, it's quoted in the New Testament, if you were to go back and look, it's not going to be exact. This is not going to be the exact same. Uh, and, and does anybody know why that is? Different languages? Yeah, a lot of it, it often has to do with different languages. Usually the uh, New Testament authors were reading from what's called the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew. So it's been translated once. So sometimes, and your Old Testament is translated from the Hebrew, and so if you go back, it just shades a little bit differently. Usually it's pretty, it's pretty close. And sometimes, like in this case, the Septuagint is actually quite different because Hebrew works funny. And so they didn't have vowels yet. And so, uh, you know, like if you had, I, I, didn't, I didn't think of an example. But you, could have, you, have, you can imagine, if you play Wordle uh, in the New York Times, you know there are words that have the same consonants but different vowels, and they have completely different meanings, right? And it was the same thing in Hebrew. They just didn't have vowels. So they used the same consonants. They just had different meanings that we, they pronounced it differently. And so, um, so if it was written down in Hebrew, and they translated it into Greek, and now we, know, we, now we have the, con- the vowels uh, filled in later, it just, it just works out a little bit differently. I have to think, under the sovereignty of God. But in this case, which is strange, you have some from the Hebrew and some from the Septuagint. Matthew's kind of using what he, uh, what he needs to make his point across. And that is finally, it's particularly in the, um, the Hebrew is early, and then verse 21, and his, in his name the Gentiles will hope is from the Septuagint. Anyway, just a little thing. You don't have to worry, is what I'm trying to say, if you see a difference. If you go back, if you see an Old Testament quotation in the New Testament, you go back and say, well, this looks different. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, so... Um, it's, a, it's sort of a reprieve from the strife with the Pharisees, and it just, I think, just shows the kindness and the sweetness of the character of God, and particularly the character of Jesus. Uh, what, I mean, when you read this quote, what do you, what do you or, and, and again, you know, that he cured all of them, like, what, what do you, what do you take from it? What, what, how do you read it? He's talking about the Gentiles here, not the Jews. Oh, that's a good point. He's just, uh, Susie said he, he's talking about the Gentiles, not the Jews. So we do. We should probably address that. What else? He's not coming on a white horse and charging in there and going to slay everything that's wrong. Um, 
He's taking a very gentle approach. He's taking a very gentle approach. He will not wrangle. This is actually the uh, the only I looked. I was like, that's a weird word. So I looked it up. It's the only time this this word is used in the whole New Testament. Um, and just it base. I looked at it. And what does it mean? It means uh, to, to wrangle. I was like, that is not very helpful. Um, but the uh, it. it it means to uh, to cause strife intentionally. Um, uh, if we think about a wrangler, someone who um, you know who ropes the cattle or whatever, uh, they're they're tying things up. You know, they're, they're using a lot of effort to, to tie things, and that's and I think that's the way it uh, is intended. He's not um, he's not causing a bunch of he's not coming to cause a bunch of tension. Although he did say, I, "I've come to divide families." We've talked about that. Um, about the truth of his word, but he's, he's, he's just speaking to the gentleness of it. And, and this, I think, goes back to the fact that he's not, um, he's telling, he's curing him, he's telling people not to make him known. So, let's go back. He, many crowds followed him. So he, he left to, to hide from the Pharisees. Many crowds followed him. He probably wasn't too hard to find, but they're, they're, not, they're not pursuing him too much. And he cured all of them, and he ordered them not to make him known. Now, what do you do? This is often called the messianic secret. What do you guys know? What do you know about the messianic secret? Why does Jesus want to keep his messiahship a secret? Is that meaning King God? That's right. I mean, he just wasn't. He was going to get killed for that, and so he wasn't ready to be killed. He knew he would be, but he, he came to die, but he, he knew he would. So, um, so to make himself that, so he often, but often we all, you know, I, I sometimes joke and say that, you know, he probably told him not to tell anybody so that they would tell everybody. Um, yeah. that, that, you know, like it's, it's uh, you know, hey, just don't, wink, wink, don't tell anybody. Um, yeah, tell Reminds you of ML. Tell me, I always want to talk about ML Stover. Tell me what you mean. ML, uh, she said that she Uh, so she she said that ML used to say that uh, if you tell if you tell me don't tell anybody I'm just going to tell you I'm going to tell everybody because if you're telling me you probably told other people too so which is which is uh, just uh, you know we're we're going to have to write a book about ML's wisdom uh, I think I think and it's a no longer a secret once you tell someone it doesn't matter who it is yes it, 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 once you tell somebody it's not a secret no let me let me incidentally. When someone is, uh, starts telling me about how bad somebody else is, I often just wonder, what are they saying about me? <laughs> so, put that in your pocket. Yeah, correct. Wasn't there also references that uh, uh, Jesus didn't want him to, to make him king? That he didn't want the... Because he had a mission, and he was afraid that all these people would spread the word and that they would... Yes. Yeah, so Craig says, didn't didn't they? Did, wasn't he also avoiding them making him king of the people, the popular people? Yes, uh, but he didn't avoid curing them. And so there was there was there was benefit that he was given. And there is, and I think it's in John, where he I'd have to go back and look for sure, but I think it's in John where he, he says they they sought they laid hands on him and sought to make him king, and he 
wouldn't let him. He let he he somehow vanished. Wasn't that the idea, though, in that time of the Jewish people, that the Messiah would be the king? That's right. Yes, that was the idea of the, of the Jewish people, that the Messiah would be king. And we, it's important, actually, I said it's important that it's, Psalm, uh, that it's Isaiah 52 because, sorry, 42. Because Isaiah has, uh, talks about two individuals that are anointed by the Lord. One is the son of David. And this is, the, this is the Messianic king. This is the one who is going to sit on the throne of David forever and ru- rule uh, the people. And everyone interpreted that as basically you know, releasing them from occupation and, and you know, as a military leader. The other one in Isaiah is the suffering servant. And this is the first introduction in Isaiah. Um, and it is given to us, if you know about Isaiah, the first 39 chapters are warning about um, if basically repent or you're going to get carted off to Babylon. And starting with, with chapter 40, we have comfort for those who have been carted off to Babylon because they didn't, they didn't repent. There's a lot of debate. Did, did Isaiah write this before they went to Babylon or is it, you know, as they call it Deutero-Isaiah, meaning second Isaiah, that it's, it's actually written by somebody else named Isaiah or somebody writing as Isaiah. I think it's all the same guy. I don't think you have to worry about that. But, uh, but nevertheless, it's the Word of God given to us in Isaiah. And he's comforting his people. So we have this suffering servant who's taken, taken on the sins of the, of the people. And especially we look at Isaiah 53, which is the, often read at Good Friday. And I just, it's a, it's a, this is the one where his, his, uh, by his stripes we're healed. And uh, all we like sheep have gone astray. But, and... Um, each to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And so nobody before Jesus, the theologians, put the son of David, the messianic king, and the suffering servant together and understood that those were the same person until Christ. And really reflection upon Christ. Jesus understood, obviously. So it's really it's interesting, but he uh, but so he's the suffering servant, and and he says he is uh, bringing justice uh, to the Gentiles. No, so tell me how you understand justice. Okay, and I'll tell you I'm in the I'm going to give you a little personal context. I'm in the midst of sort of beginning to understand justice in a whole new way. So I'm going to share with you. Basically, it's probably irresponsible because it's totally unformed. But um, but it's it's uh, I'm going to. We'll talk about it. How do you understand justice? Fairness. Fairness. Okay, yes. Fairness. Which, which is to say, if I have a hamburger, or if I want a hamburger, then I need to bring $5, right? Mm-hmm. To Wendy's, you know, um, or $12 to the loop. But um, <laughs> if, um, if I, you know, there, that's, and it's not fair to get one if I don't have, the money, right? That, that's, that's justice. If I commit a crime, I've got to pay the penalty. Like, that's, that's justice. It's fairness, right? There, there are consequences for your actions. Um, if, if, I get, if I'm going, you know, 45 miles an hour over the bridge and I get pulled over for speeding, that is injustice because the speed limit is 45. I'm probably not going 45 over that bridge. But, um, yeah, right. I slow down before the blinking thing, but um, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so the uh, 
evening things out. Do you, I mean, I can, you think in the courts, it's like making justice that there's retribution. Retribution. That the consequence is equivalent to the offense. Yes, it, there, so justice is is that the uh, the the retribution isn't over overbearing. That this is eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, right? It's to say the Hammurabi's code, which was you know ramp through all throughout that that area, not just Israel. Um, that that was in fact um, to if I take your eye, you're going to take both of mine. I mean, there's 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 a there's retribution. In that, like, if, if somebody does you wrong, you want to one up them, and so is to withhold that sort of over, over, over in, in unjust retribution. Uh, so yes, there's a sense in which the the punishment should fit the crime, not not be more than that. That's also justice. Yes. Wasn't the justice that he's talking about that up until uh, Christ, there was no way for Gentiles to repent for their sins. The Jews had sacrifice, and they. Uh, way to that they could get their sins forgiven but the gentiles had no way well so i don't know if the gentiles had no way to repent for their sins they could they, there were rights to become sort of in be brought into the fold of judaism i mean you have like the uh the ethiopian eunuch who came and, and was making sacrifice to god and sort of aligned himself with jewish jewish faith um but and and all I mean all the all the religions of the world at that time had sacrifice. Um, so, but but before the God of Israel, I think sacrifice was still the way. But they had there was other steps to go before that. Yeah, but weren't a lot most of them sacrificing to pagan gods and stuff like that. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. So they had they had sacrifices to their pagan gods, and they understood that. But if they wanted to sacrifice to the God of Israel, they could. They just had to be sort of baptized or brought into the into the fold before that. I think I'd have to go see what about the specific steps of that. But here's so so all this is right. I mean, all you're talking about is justice, and this is generally how I have understood justice. That that we when we cry out for justice, that what we, you know, we what we before God we don't want justice. We want mercy, right? Right? That I mean, like I don't I don't want what I deserve from God. I I, I want Him to love me anyway. Um, but I'm, there's a, there's another like there's a broader sense which is also justice, and that was God's justice is not just retribution. God's justice is setting the world right. Mm-hmm. And so His act of salvation, even though it is in fact mercy, is setting our relationship right, and that is justice from God's perspective. And I'm really trying to figure that out. Um, and I'm, I'm learning, I mean, this is, like I said, this is new. But when he says he's bringing, um, he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles, I think I always would have read that like, turn or burn, like repent of your stuff because justice is coming. And, and, but in the context of he's not going to break a bruised reed, which is to say he's not going to destroy someone who's already hurting the Gentiles didn't even have a, a you know a really solid means of, of connection with God. He's not going to just say turn or burn. Like he's going to say, and the, this is the heart in the in the context of Jesus curing all those along the countryside, um, that he actually is here to set things right. The kingdom of God is at hand, and so so that is in fact God's justice, and that is the ministry of social justice that we are in fact called into um, 
and, and I'm, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm learning that, but we, we are called to help set the world right. Not to create heaven on earth, but to be more involved in the goodness of our society uh, for the betterment of our culture. So, um, and, and because of what God, because God has reconciled himself to us. So I'm, 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 this, you can just be, these are fragmented thoughts. These are, these are, I'm still working this out. I've got some work to do on that. But I, I do, where I, where I go, because I love to talk about grace, is I go to verse 20, that he will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. I mean, you think about a reed, a reed in that time was used as a measuring stick. And a bruised one that drooped over was no good, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was, uh. It was, you just throw it away and burn it or something because it's not, not worth anything anymore. So, uh, and, and so for those of us who um, are hurt and can't uh, in some way, mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever it is, and can't do the thing that we were created to do for a, for a season or whatever, that he hasn't come to just throw us away. He's come to restore us and give us worth. Uh, what, is a, what is a wick for? To provide light, not pollution. A smoldering wick provides pollution, right? It's just smoking. Uh, it's not doing the thing it was created to do. And he's not going to just snuff it out and get a new one. Um, and, and, and so I imagine that it, particularly in Isaiah's time or maybe um, in Jesus' time, you, draw, you know, how we draw on biblical uh, things to have sort of sayings in our culture that maybe um, a bruised reed was, was someone, was a saying in, in their culture, that it was a, they would have understood that this what he was talking about. He's not talking about uh, agriculture. He's talking about uh, people. Um, but he's bringing, he's setting the world to right. That's that's the victory he's bringing. When he says until he brings justice to victory, he's not saying he's, until he gets rid of all the bad people. It's until he sets the world right. But he does stamp out evil. He stamps out evil. And in fact, that so we're going to talk about yes in the next section as well, but let me just say that that's one of the reasons we can trust Him. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, I can't believe in a God who sends people to hell. Well, that, I understand why you would say that, because you want God to be loving, because you want to be loved, but what about the people who have done you wrong? Like, does God not care that we've been done wrong? Does He not care about evil? Is, yes, there's forgiveness, but if God just says, ah, well, let's wink at that and just you know, bring everybody in the fold, then God is not just. And so, it is actually his judgment that helps him, you know, us to know that we can trust him. For instance, if I tell my kids, um, like when they were little, let's just say when they were little, if you bite, you're going to get spanked. Or if you, you know, if you bite, you're going to be in time, whatever it is. And they bite, and I'd be like, hey, stop doing that, and then i just go on. They, they know, number one, they can get away with it, but number two, I'm not a man of my word. Like they, I have to do for them. I have to, I have to, uh, I have to do what they say. And in fact, if I don't do what I say, then I'm hurting the person they bit because I'm not doing anything about it. I don't care. So, so part of God's love is His judgment. We just don't. The, the, the reason that's a problem is because we need mercy, not justice, right? So, um, and so that's it's it's a. <laughs> The fact that God can just hold all this together, I mean, it's kind of already, just standing up here, it's kind of blowing my mind. And, and so the fact that I can, the fact that God just holds all this together just speaks to His, his greatness.
there's a great discussion of that in the book, The Shack. In The Shack, yeah. Where they talk about, well, why didn't you stop this from happening? He said, well, because then this would have happened, this would have happened, or, or why don't I stop you from what you're doing? Yes. Yeah, the um, there is accountability. That why don't yeah? Accept. There's accountability, and I don't know why. It's not exactly the same issue, but I remember there's uh, heard about a girl who just really you know just had going through one of those just tough seasons. You know, just just tough. If there's a God, how can He be letting this happen? Well, hold on a second. What about all the good things? You know, like this is this is bad, and it, and it uh, you know you're you've had these this bad series of events happen, but but. What about the times where all the all the good things that that happened? You know that oh, there must be a God because no, I mean it's like it just. And there's lots of scriptures about you almost need those bad times to make those steps forward. Yeah. Towards Him, you know, because you realize you're not in control. That's right. Well, one thing I ask is. You know, God put you here. What did you do to prevent it? You know, and they say, why are the people starving over here? Well, 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 God made you. What are you doing to stop them yeah. from starving? Yeah, we just, I mean, the, the, the more we get out of being consumers of grace and, and, and partner with God to be givers of grace because of the grace that we've been given, the better the world's going to be. Um, I... Honestly, if I don't move on, we're we're just not going to get to it. Um, we're all, we're almost done. Will somebody read for me the, uh, uh, the? It's kind of a long passage, but Jesus and Beelzebul. Would somebody read that for us? Doesn't matter. Go, Connie. Then they brought to him a demoniac who was blind and mute, and he cured him, so that the one who had been mute could speak and see. All the crowds were amazed and said. Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons, that this fellow casts out the demons. He knew what they were thinking and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your own exorcists cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man? Then indeed the house can be plundered. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, people will be forgiven for every sin and blasphemy, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Thank you. All right, so there's a lot in this. Um, So the the Pharisees, uh, they can see clearly he's not insane, but they can't say he is the Son of God, which he's certainly making that claim uh, by using their language. So their their conclusion he's he must be d- 
demonic. If he's in touch with that spirit, that's how he's casting out the spirits. He's sort of telling them what to do. And Jesus uses logic uh, in, a, in a pretty wonderful way. Hold on a second. Every kingdom divided, itself, divided against itself cannot stand. And that's just good logic. And we can see clearly that the kingdom of darkness is advancing. Therefore, it can't be, it can't be divided because it'd be falling. And therefore, I, I must not be casting out the demon by the work of Satan. By Beelzebul, which is the prince of demons, according to their mythology. Um, and then he also says, well, you, know, you don't like the conclusion that you have to draw, but what about the other people? Like in your own, in, I guess there, was, there were Jewish exorcists as well. What about them? If the Spirit of God is the means by which I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you, because I'm setting things right. Um, it's justice. How can one enter, this is I've, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man? In other words, the strong man in this in this little parable uh, is is Satan. He has come to plunder Satan's house, which is what is he taking? Us. Like he, he's come to get up, to rescue us. He's come to storm the castle, to go up to the top of the tower and get get us. And bring us out. How is he going to do that? He's got to tie up the strong man first. And therefore, in order to do that, we can't say that I'm with the strong man. So that's that's what he's he's saying there. A house divided cannot stand. Um, but then he gets to the thing that scares so many people, especially when we uh, take it out of context. This bla- this idea of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It'll never be forgiven. Uh, people will be forgiven for every sin, every blasphemy, unless blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's not going to be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. I don't care about that. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, you're in big trouble. And I've had people in my office wondering if their life is falling apart because sometime when they were a teenager or a kid or something, they spoke against the Holy Spirit and God is coming back to get them. Like, that sounds crazy unless it's real for you. And then it's real. It feels real anyway. So, what we, what's going on? What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't understand because to me, the Son of Man and the Holy Spirit are the same. She said, she said, I don't understand because to me, the Holy Spirit and the Son of Man are the same. Well, they're not the same, but, but they are two parts of the same God, one God and three persons. They're not each other, but they are united in a in perfect accord. Yes. So why? Yeah, right. Why forgive son of, against the son of man, but not that? Yeah. That's right. That's part. Of, that's the question. Yeah, that's that's confusing. So the Pharisees have called the son of man evil. They have said that he is from. Satan, and that the work that he is doing, which is by the Spirit of God, is evil. And therefore, by calling good evil, they are not availing themselves to the forgiveness that is offered. And so you can't be forgiven because you've closed your heart to it. Now, if you were to recognize and repent 
and see that Jesus is the Son of Man. And that what and then the only logical conclusion then is that it's not the spirit of Satan, it's the spirit of the devil, I mean the spirit of God that he's doing these things. Then I'm no longer blaspheming against the Son of God. That every sin is forgiven. Like it's it's a matter of what are we open to? Are we open to forgiveness? Because some people, like I can remember one time someone told me in in, in a church context, I don't have anything I need to be saved from. I'm a good person. I mean, I didn't. Um, I, I, I just, I didn't know what to say in that in that context. Um, but it was, it, it is, it is, you know. Okay, well, if I don't, if you don't have anything to be forgiven of, then it was just, it was. We can't. We we must offer. I mean, that's the that is the bedrock. Is that God? In order to reconcile Himself to us, God has forgiven us. Um, so, I just don't understand it. I have a friend long ago that said we were in a Bible study years ago, and she said, Well, I've never seen it. I mean, all of us have dropped. So she didn't understand. Yeah, she said that she had never sinned. Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. She didn't understand. She didn't have an understanding of exactly what sin was. I mean, it's either like just the big things. Uh, I've never killed anybody. Uh, or, or maybe she she said, you know, because it's all been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, and and yeah, I don't think that's what she was talking about. But uh, yeah, um, in Christ, I'm a new creation. Uh, the old is gone. Uh, yeah, I'd, probably not. Well, um, you know, let's just walk through the Ten Commandments. You know, like, uh, is anything has anything ever been more important to you than God Himself? Well, yes. I mean, like you just—you can't do. I mean, it's just the—it's not hard to prove unless your heart's just not open to it. I don't—I don't know. I mean, I've heard people say that too. You know, say, "Well, my friends, I, I know we have more questions uh, about this, um, but I—I've uh, got to—got to go to church." So, God bless you. Talk amongst yourselves. There's a little coffee left, so unless don't talk amongst yourselves, you haven't been in church yet.